Welcome to Mayak Innovatsi, the podcast of Unit City dedicated to innovation from Ukraine to the world. And welcome to Mayak Innovatsi. And it's a very special day today because we are at the end of what has been, right, Tatiana, a really tough year. I think uh, we can we can say that, right? Um, but we decided that it was time to celebrate. I would argue it was a very good year. It, it was, was a really good year? Like in a classical song. Okay. Was a good year. Well, I think it was a really good year too, but a really bad year for, 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 for many people. But it's not a good reason not to celebrate. And everywhere around the world, there is one thing that people love for Christmas, and it's a good sparkling wine, right? So you're going to hear a little noise. And it's natural. And it's real. We're not pretending yet. No, we're not. We're drinking. And we're drinking a Ukrainian wine called Chabot. And, uh, and, and Chabot is actually a really, really old uh, winemaker, um, not far from Odessa. Uh, they started the business in 1822. Uh, so they're going to be soon 200 years old. And we have with us someone who is not yet 200 years old. So... My guess is he didn't really start the business, uh, but he's, uh, he's actually uh, running it. Uh, and, uh, and his name is uh, Georgi Yukritse. Magnifique. Magnifique. Good morning, everybody. Bonjour. Bonjour, vous allez bien? Comment ça va? Oh, bien, très bien, merci. And Georgi speaks French, of course, because he's, Just in, the, just un peu, he's in the white business. Um, let's talk about Chabot. Oh, with pleasure. I want I want to know everything about the story of Chabot. I visited, of course. Uh, I went. Uh, uh, Tatiana, you visited. Yes, I visited many times. And uh, like a small disclaimer for this episode of the podcast Maya Kinovatsi, this is the first ever interview with uh, tasting, wine tasting. Yes. <laughs> and uh, So keep strong the audience and we're going to enjoy this conversation and we're going to taste. During this podcast, we're going to travel. We're going to travel in time. We're going to have uh, people traveling to Ukraine from other uh, Europe. European country. Um, we're going to talk about Switzerland. We're going to talk about about tons of things. So, but the floor is mine. Yes, <laughs> the floor is yours. What is the story of Chabot? Well, first of all, just in case if I run for too long, let me know because I can talk f about wine pretty much nonstop. So, cool. Give me, give me a way off. Well, you know, I'm French. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Fair <laughs> Fire <enough. with> me. <laughs> first of all, it's a great pleasure to be here, especially on this fine Friday morning with a beautiful rose mm. sparkling which really puts everything in a good perspective. I agree. And really sets, sets mood very well for the rest of the weekend, especially mm -hmm. on such a lovely December month. Yes. Uh, so uh, as long as for we go for Shabo, first of all, you need to know about, uh, about history of winemaking in Ukraine to know where we're coming from and mm -hmm. where we want to get. Mm -hmm. So actually not many people know that history of winemaking in Ukraine started more than 2,000 years. So it's not a well-known fact, but uh, Ukraine has a huge foundation to be built upon further in terms of winemaking. The and it was the ancient Greeks that started winemaking in these lands. The next big period, which we call like another step up in terms of culture and quality of winemaking, was during Ottoman Empire mm -hmm. in the 16th century. Uh, they were making, uh, when they were 
on these lands during those period. They were making wines and they were cultivating uh, in vineyards as well, even bringing some of their own unique varieties. Mm -hmm. Some of them uh, actually stayed on these lands and they don't even exist in Turkey anymore. So, for example, there is four unique varieties that are completely unique to Ukraine. And one of them, uh, thanks to the Turkish history, is called Teltikuruk. Mm-hmm. which translates from Turkish as foxtail because oh. of the very nice fluffy form of the grape bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very unique uh, wine. I can talk about it along, but main thing, uh, main quality of it, it combines unique freshness and minerality, which you associate mainly with Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. or Pinot Grigio, with a touch of sweetness uh, in the end, uh, which more closely associated with Chardonnay. And this wine shows extremely well in uh, gastronomy, in food pairing, and for this reason, it's represented in four Michelin star restaurants, three of them in Paris, La Serre, Bristol, and Le Sanc. Wow. And I've been to all of them. Okay, you have a good and, taste. Uh, well, I guess, but the sommelier never offered me this. So I guess I have to go back now. Absolutely. That's, it's a good reason to go to back. Oh, my life. Uh-huh. So it's hard. a good reason to travel again. And this mm-hmm. wine, Tiltikuruk, is one of my favorite made by Chabot. Thank nice. you. Really unique taste. It smells for me like uh, it smells uh, like uh, salty wind. Yeah. Because sea affects wines as well. And it's only variety uh, in terms of our vineyards now terroir that completely grows in sand. Not oh. any other culture can can find life in sand, but mm-hmm. the grape, the vine does. And it's a very unique quality. That's why it has this unique taste profile, which is uncomparable to anything else. And then yeah. back to history. Absolutely. Uh, and the next uh-huh. big stage, yes. what we call uh, the start of cultural winemaking, mm-hmm. because that's the philosophy of our family, that wine is culture. Uh, the first, the next big step, and this is just hold on with me for just a minute. It's a bit complex history, but it will be make sense. It will be easier for you in a moment. So, in 1822, those new lands became the part of the, the moment of that history of, of Russian Empire. Uh, the ruler at the time was Alexander I, whose main uh, conciliary, his mm-hmm. main uh, right hand, was a Swiss philosopher. Um, who uh, Francis de la Garpe, whose uh, original was from Veve mm-hmm. in Canton Vaux in Switzerland on the uh, shores of the Lake Geneva. And he had an idea to invite Swiss winemakers. Uh, so Louis Tardin, when he first came to this, let's say, test mission to see and check these lands, he was essentially shocked. And this is n- not me saying, it's actually his actual quote. Mm-hmm. This is a heaven on earth for winemaking. So after that, he uh, took his family and some of uh, other families as well, which made up for the first round of about 30 people. And they took with horses and carriages that traveled for three and a half months, all the way from uh, Veve to Shabo. And they created the first and only fully autonomous Swiss colony in the world. Well, I had no clue. It's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Because there were other Swiss colonies, even in Ukraine at the time, uh-huh. but they the only one that is fully autonomous out of the whole world. So what does it mean? They had their own church, their own police, their own schools, even hospitals. So essentially they had a unique community which was uncomparable to anything else. Uh, and that's actually where the name Shabo comes from. So when the Ottoman Empire were on this lands, they called them 
Ashaaba, which from Turkish essentially translated as lower gardens, because uh, the vineyards were on the same uh, on the sea level, mm-hmm. just uh, because our vineyards are located between a lake and a Black Sea. Mm-hmm. But of course, from for the Francophone uh, Swiss settlers, it was a bit difficult to pronounce such a complex name. Name uh-huh. so. Essentially, with time, it uh, evolution from Ashaba to Shaba and mm-hmm. then Shabo. So, in Ukrainian, you say Shabo. In French, Shabo. Shabo. So both versions are more than acceptable. I'll say Shabo. Shabo. I like it. Samarsh. Yeah, Samarsh. <laughs> and do you keep connections with uh, Swiss family or the founders of Shabo? Yeah, absolutely. We... Uh, Keep in touch with the with not ancestors of the uh, the family that still uh, from their roots that follow with the connection with the first Swiss colonists, and actually last time the visitors visited was during 190th anniversary of uh, of the creation of the of the colony, and we do plan to have a big celebration for the 200s. We plan to uh, reconstruct the old. Protestant church. Nice. Of course, uh, unfortunately, there are no more uh, people in the village who will practice it. So we mm-hmm. plan to uh, reconstruct it into a cultural center, mainly for uh, educational programs for children. So when the Swiss settlers came, their wines became very famous in the region. They have received many international awards at the time. Their wines already received a strong reputation uh, and even, let's say, local and well, at the moment, international celebrities were mm-hmm. visiting, such as if you say local Ukrainian, you can say Lesya Ukrainka, which is a very famous Ukrainian poetess. For the international ones, it was Alexander Sidiewicz Pushkin was also visited. And different royalties, such as kings of Romania, uh, were also uh, guests that came often. But then, unfortunately, the first war, war came. The Reds took the power, mm-hmm. took the control. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had to emigrate back to Switzerland and leave those vineyards behind. Um, uh, as m- many of you know, unfortunately, the, the priorities of Communist Party uh, were not uh, for quality of the wine, but for its quantity. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1990s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the, the company or whatever was left of it was went to complete decay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not making any wines. They were only selling wine material uh, or wine concentrate to other companies and then not producing any of their own. Uh, I don't know if we can upload those pictures later to podcast, but uh, this is for me one of the mo- my favorite parts of our wine museum. When you see uh, when our family came to this company in 2003, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of winery greeted us and I think the picture will say more than 1,000 words for it. Uh, essentially, I, I, I saw those pictures and uh, and I saw those before and after pictures and I was like, you, you guys had some courage <laughs> when, when, when you discovered this place. Um, how, how did you got the inspiration? How did you s- saw the light? That is always something that fascinates me. Um, actually, this is a question I ask to Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, because as as many... I'm in good company. Yes, you are in good company. Um, Jack Ma started Alibaba in 1999 in, in, in China, in Hongzhou, in his uh, home city. And he was uh, sitting in his apartment and he, he was like, oh, I'm going to create a big e-commerce uh, platform. The only problem is internet was barely existing. 
there was no delivery system in China and there was no payment system in China. So he had to reinvent this. And I asked him, but that looks like a really bad idea <laughs> when you had that idea. And he said, I know that's what everybody was telling, were telling me, but I had that vision and, and, and I knew. And, and I feel like in every entrepreneur, there is that you have an idea, you have a vision, and you, and you, 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 but what was your vision when, when you saw this place? I mean, I agree. When you see the pictures, you're like, I, I would never have bought this place <laughs> myself. Uh, I agree. And also in the sense, uh, oh, it's, it's a really good company to be with Jacob, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we also <laughs> received the same comments. Uh, like you guys are crazy, you guys are fools even to think about it, not actually to go to go through with it. Uh, but uh, actually what we saw the potential in, you know, there's an expression on, on there is no Georgian who can't make wine or who can't sing. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, we didn't have any issues in that, uh, in, in that <laughs> department. Uh, but what we saw, it's not the potential of the winery itself when we saw this completely awful equipment and machinery. It was the vineyards because mm -hmm. wine is born in vineyards. Mm -hmm. 70, 80% of the wine is made there. And what you can do in the, uh, in the winery is to give it a direction. And your main job as a winemaker is to open up the potential of the vineyard, of the terroir, which is essentially, to put in a simple words, it's just like a mathematical formula, which includes number of sunny days, number of rains, um, composition of soil, structure, closeness to water, etc., etc. So this is what makes your unique microparcel, your vineyard, unique. So the terroir of Chabot is incomparable to anything else. Uh, and Louis Tardin really had the vision for it, and we're still uh, very thankful for that. So it was the vineyards that mm -hmm. uh, really made the decision for us. And then we essentially rebuilt everything from scratch because there essentially it was nothing to build upon on. Mm -hmm. um, we, mm, so with Shabu, uh, there was 1,200 hectares of vineyards. We replanted 900 hectares of new, uh, new vines, mainly about 20, 25 different varieties, more traditional, say French or European style. So your Cabernet Sauvignon, Franc, Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, and etc. Uh, also, with time, we also, of course, as Georgians, we cannot uh, ignore such varieties as Saperavi, Rkaziteli. So mm -hmm. we also, of course, uh, planted those vines as well, and uh, invested heavily uh, in the winery itself, especially in the equipment and the technology. But the most mm, valuable. Uh, aspect of winery that we have, apart from the vineyards, is of course our team. Mm -hmm. Because we couldn't receive uh, the international recognition or the awards or uh, essentially such quality wines without them. I'm not lying. In the beginning, like for the first five years, we tried to be too hard to be too French. <laughs> uh, we essentially killed our wines with overuse of oak. We relied heavily upon uh, barrel aging. We uh, kept the wines with uh, food with barrels that are, uh, let's say, medium plus plus with very burnt, which were very aggressive for wines, and we kept them for 18, 24 months long. And essentially, apart from barrel tones, you couldn't sense anything else. Then in 2008, give or take, uh, we changed our team. Mm -hmm. We invited uh, our main enologist, our main winemaker, uh, Becca Gagunashvili, who is a Georgian winemaker, in eighth generation, wow. uh, he 
was a true scientist. Yeah, absolutely. And when he speaks about wine, he just jaw drops and you just listen to him as the best professor ever. Uh, apart from being coming from a very traditional Georgian style winemaking, mm -hmm. he received his education in Marseille and then in Bordeaux. Oh, that's a good place. <laughs> voilà, les Français. Uh, and apart from education in France, Beck also uh, worked for, with uh, Pernod Ricard. And essentially, we were lucky, lucky, very lucky to get him because apart from educating our, let's say, young team of winemakers, he really changed our approach with the winemaking. And of course, we couldn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have to have second, third opinions. So we worked with many different consultants and uh, we, we essentially stuck with one. It was uh, Stéphane de Renoncourt, who is a quite famous wine consultant from Bordeaux. Uh, one of, if I'm not mistaken, one of the students of Michel Roland, which actually mm -hmm. invented the, uh, the profession of flying winemakers. Uh, and I realized for the, for the first time I met Stéphane, when I met him in the airport, when we were driving to Chabo, the first thing I was planning to show him was the winery. And like, he said, like, why do you show me the winery? I have nothing to do there. Show me the vineyards. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And then I said, okay, this is our guy. <laughs> uh, so with his team, uh, we've been working essentially thin, since uh, 2009, mm -hmm. give or take. And uh, the level of wines in Shabu really took up on the next level. We're the first and only wine company in Ukraine that ever participated in such uh, expositions as Vin Expo in Bordeaux, mm -hmm. Wine in Düsseldorf, Hong Kong, uh, wholesalers of America in Orlando, uh, where the, uh, f just to mention, like in the last five years, we received more than 600 international awards. And we specifically uh, participate only in, uh, let's say, well-known international competitions, mm -hmm. nothing local. Of course, you know, um, it's not a big secret. Uh, er, there are many local competitions where you can, uh, let's say, put aside um, or give the direction to the results. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. I know that you received a hundred uh, of uh, awards, but do you remember the first one and how did you celebrate it? Oh, I think the first one, I, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to be like, I'm not remembering cl clearly, uh, but I think it was the international wine competition, uh, which was we received for our Cabernet. Cabernet. Uh, it actually was a silver medal. It was not gold, it was a silver medal. Uh, but I remember that it was a good direction because it's the first time that we actually risked. And the reason for this is quite simple. In 2003, when, we, when you plant new vineyards, only on the third year, you can actually start making wine. And it's still gonna be very basic. Uh, and you can start thinking of making more serious wines only after the vine tree is minimum seven, eight years old, when it's already has its roots more deeper in the ground, mm -hmm. when it gets more cleaner uh, minerals. Uh, and uh, only after 2010, essentially, we started participating in these international exhibitions and competitions. Uh, how we celebrated? Uh, oh, I, definitely was with my family. It's, uh, it's still a, a family company, uh, and uh, we still even look upon our team not as uh, a mm -hmm. team for hire, but as a large group of our family. Um, okay, let's, let's talk, talk about tech a little bit. Two things. I mean, you've you've been you've been speaking a lot actually about the people, um, and I think when I, I mean, my world is more into the startup world, and when I when we, when we talk with founders or entrepreneurs, 
usually uh, the main thing they talk about is is their team. Is it's not about the technology, it's not about the product, but it's it's very often about the team. Do you consider yourself as a startup, uh, a two hundred years old startup? Because because okay, I I visited and I felt the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, but but how, what what is your view on that? Actually, to be honest, I never thought about it, but in a sense, it makes sense mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, we have a huge history, especially if we take you know, the longest of times. But if we, like the, the new chapter of history of Shaba essentially started in 2003, so we're just mm -hmm. 17 years old. We're still teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, You're as old as Facebook. Uh, for, yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah. Um, in that term, um, yes, I guess you can call us a startup because uh, I still remember my, my most favorite comment, uh, and maybe I'll need your help because I'm not sure how to translate it in, correctly in English, but I'll try. Uh, uh, it was a comment on TripAdvisor, mm -hmm. uh, where the second most recommended place to go visit in Odessa after Odessa Opera House. Huh. Uh, we have about 5,000 comments, very high ratings, and I remember still the comment mm, that really is the best compliment for me and for my family. The comment went something like, I visited, I liked it, I don't know who are the owners of uh, this winery, but they're crazy winemakers. Psychi vina. Le And for me, it's the best compliment because not, no one in their right state of mind in 2003, on the brink of Orange Revolution that was happening at the time in Ukraine, uh, would even consider investing, especially in terms of Ukrainian uh, winemaking as a whole. Because unfortunately, when you think of Ukraine, not in top 10 of associations, you will think of wine. No, I agree. Yes, you, you wouldn't. And this is probably the main mission of our companies to create the brand of Ukrainian wine. Mm -hmm. uh, because we believe in terroir of Ukraine. Uh, our wines, I don't have a doubt that Ukraine can make great wines. I know for a fact it can, and mm -hmm. it does. And we have uh, medals, recognitions, blind tasting results to prove it and go, go with it. Uh, it's just uh, currently, uh, to, to be honest, we're the only ones, uh, we're the only ones up in front. Yeah. Uh, but to have really, we'll still will get there anyway. It just, if we unite, we'll get there faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to have a government program uh, to position Ukraine as a winemaking country. Uh, I, uh, every time I go to international exhibitions, I really adore and enjoy watching uh, such countries uh, as Georgia, Moldova, uh, even, uh, let's say, from the old world, even Italy, Spain, France. They participate in these international exhibitions under one common huge stand, under mm -hmm. one flag, probably saying wines of France, of Georgia, mm -hmm. and etc., where th that's also a, philo a philosophy of our family, that in winemaking, you don't have competitors, you have colleagues. Mm -hmm. And they stay and they stand side by side, working together, selling their wines, uh, promoting their wines as part of the nation, of their culture. And this is something I really hope that we'll see in Ukraine sometime in the near future. See, it's interesting. You are thinking like a startup. Like, you know what they say in Silicon Valley, there's no competition, there's just co-opetition. 
Uh, and, and, and actually, it's very, very important for the mindset of Silicon Valley because everybody works on the same technology at the same times. And, well, at the end of the day, there will be only one Facebook. Uh, but so many other companies are working on, on, on the same thing. Um, and actually, for France, we saw how powerful it was when the French government decided to unite all the tech startup around the label La French Tech, mm -hmm. the French Tech, uh, which is, by the way, present in Kiev as well. Um, and uh, and I, I totally agree. I think it's it's really in the in the startup spirit. That's cool. Well, like here in the university, we are building ecosystem, and mm -hmm. you are building in Ukraine ecosystem. <laughs> oh, very good analogy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about technology. By the way, um, how do you see? Because, well, I mean, uh, agritech is is a big thing, and actually, Ukraine is is w very well positioned, being one of the one of the best agricultural country maybe in the world. Um, so th we see a lot of startup around agri-tech. But in your business, do you see a lot of startup? Do you see a lot of, 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 of tech companies coming to you and say, oh, we have this new technology doing this and that? Is it, is it something you're interested in? Uh, this is something we're definitely interested in, but uh, we don't see it, uh, let's say, on a large scale. Mm -hmm. uh, even uh, when I was doing my internship, I was working and living in uh, in, in France for three, four years, actually, uh, in a different direction. But I was still, of course, wine is my main passion. So every free moment I ever had, I was driving to Burgundy, Bordeaux, or Languedoc-Roussillon, and checking out their vineyards or new technologies. Uh, there, is, there is not huge progress going in that direction. Uh, maybe there is progress in terms of technology in the winery, in terms of uh, different uh, equipment you can get for fermentation process, mm -hmm. uh, for malolactic fermentation as well, different barrels, different forms of barrels. So, But it's still, let's say it's uh, evolution, not revolution. Mm -hmm. mm, still, and partially, I actually like it that it's in a sense quite traditional because again, Wine is born in the vineyards. So, for example, uh, the most important phase in terms of uh, wine growing is to find the optimal equilibrium when to harvest. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, there is a, your, it's called the refractometer, which is actually an apparatus which measures the level of sugar in the grape juice. Mm -hmm. But that's only one factor, and it's not complete. So. And actually, we received this knowledge from our colleagues in France. Uh, there is no better apparatus than human's mouth. Mm -hmm. There is no computer in the world that will be able to analyze it better. So now we have 12 parameters uh, where actually our winemaker has to go into every single vineyard hmm. in the uh, beginning, in the middle, and the end of the row through every other five rows and taste grapes. And he has 12 parameters from... Uh, sweetness, acidity, how the pulp is coming out of the grape mm -hmm. itself, the color, the minerality, and etc., etc. So, out of these twelve parameters, only then he can see how it progresses and, uh, and to find the, the optimal equilibrium. Yes, to harvest, because there is no computer in the world that can do that. Uh, and for me, it's also a beauty of winemaking. Um, unfortunately, I did this. Uh, technique two mm -hmm. times in my life, like from the full season of harvest, up to this day, I can't eat grapes. <laughs> <laughs> so may I assume that you do not trust uh, robot sommeliers? No, definitely not. Uh, I especially don't trust even uh, uh, applications such as Vivino as well, because this is a very 
application sub- for recommendation. They're not objective. It's very personal uh, because they're, again, they're not done by professionals. They're not done with someone with actual education direction who can um, analyze the wine or its potential. Because unfortunately, it depends on the market. What person or what mm, what kind of wine they prefer? Do they prefer more light, more full-bodied, more sweet? So they cannot be objective. It's on, on personal preference. So this, for this reason, I don't use this application. Okay, I have a question. You mentioned something that was extremely interesting to me because it's completely related to tech and new technology. It's TripAdvisor. Um, so if I move now on the consumer side on how do we choose wine? How do we, how do we decide? Um, and, um, and actually, I mean, education uh, and, and, and knowledge is a big part of how do I choose a bottle? How do I do the pairing? I do I, how do I know it's a, good, it's a good year or it's a bad year? How do I understand the price, etc.? Technology is, is kind of a good help. I mean, we're always our phone on the store and we're like, oh, is this a good wine or not? I mean, you just mentioned Vivino, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of others. Um, but how do, you, how do you help the consumer uh, choosing wine and well, learning about wine? This is something wine? also we're kind of struggling with because we do have quite a large portfolio of wines, nearly 200 different varieties mm-hmm. and st- styles of wine as well. Uh, mainly our biggest, uh, let's say, equipment is our wine cultural center where actual person has to come and do a full visit of, uh, mm-hmm. of our winery, which is not a traditional one. It's a f- full half-day experience where you learn about the history, took the, do the labyrinth, do the different art installations, and obviously several cinemas, and you do an actual tasting. And depending on your preferences, we can do the selection for the tasting and explain how you do this. In terms of how you do it near the shelf, I completely agree. It's even sometimes uh, disorienting for me myself. But personally, I like. I know the styles of wine I like, for example. Mm-hmm. I know the varieties I prefer. But, for example, the application I use is called Vintages. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it just shows you for different uh, uh, regions of the world, uh, the quality of the vintage of that year of the particular region. So from that, uh, you can realize what was the potential of the wine, uh, how good of the quality, if it's correlating to the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I always recommend to buy shops only in specialized chains or in uh, large chain supermarkets because it's a, wine is a life product. So the way you store it uh, is also a huge factor mm-hmm. how it will turn out. Um, and probably also the important factor for it would be mm, yeah, knowing the styles you want uh, and realizing that only maybe 3-4% of the wines in the world are actually there to invest, that the wines that will get better with time that you have to you know, put in the shelf in your st- in mm-hmm. wine cellar and it will get better with time. All, 97% of other wines are wines to drink now, today, it meaning that it won't go bad in a year or two. It just will not uh, be as good. Uh, there will be no evolution in it. Ah, okay. Um, so technology does help, but it's still not enough. You still need to go to a store and ask people. I mean, this is this is something I love in in France. I don't really do it 
here yet because I don't speak the language, but I go, for example, chez Nicolas, uh, which, is, which is a great uh, wine chain in France. And, and, and usually it's family home and usually they really know the wine and they, and they tell you, okay, what are you going to have for dinner? What type of meat? What type of fish? Da, da, da. And, and they help you and they help you discover. Um, is, it, is it a culture that is starting in Ukraine or is it, is it like for the consumer, the Ukrainian consumer? Um, how, do you, how do you see the market evolving here? Oh, we definitely see changes uh, that are occurring uh, in the different um, in different chains in different different shops. Um, mm -hmm. But even today, statistically, in 2003, when we started uh, Shabo, the consumption of dry wines in all of Ukraine was less than five percent, meaning that. Thank you. Uh, oh, and we, we, we're we going to drink. Uh, a, a pause break for a, re <laughs> for a refill. A refill. Uh, so even the consumption was just 5%. We warned you. I mean, the audience. So this is the interview with tasting. Yeah, this is this is Christmas, right? Yeah. This yeah, is this the holidays. This is actually we're drinking a yeah. 2013 vintage of Chabot Sparkling Rosé, which is done with Cabernet Sauvignon Epinot Noir. Mm. Uh, done with the traditional method champanoise, so this was uh, took its secondary Thank fermentation you. in the bottle. Thank you very much. What, what do you? I mean, I have, I have, I have a very um, so I I, 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 I guess that's part of my character. Um, I think if I was a wine, I would be I would be a, a, bubble, a, a bubbly yeah, wine bu for sure. Me too. You too. Yeah, bu I know. Bu bubbled too. Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I knew it. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, but what what do you eat champagne with? And and I know you're going to tell me everything. But but usually, I mean, when we when we celebrate, when it's Christmas, it's uh, in my family. My dad loves it um, as an aperitif. Mm -hmm. Um, myself, I prefer it at the end with the sugar, with the dessert, because I feel like it, it ends, and then I can drink more of it, I guess. But what, what, do, you, what do you recommend? Uh, honestly, I'm never the one to say, like, you have to do it this way or that mm -hmm. way. Whatever your feels right, whatever tastes better to you, you have to go for that. In the sense of sparkling, I'm more let's say, in a traditional sense of way, uh, which was quite uh, an eye-opener for me when I was living in... Uh, well, Strasbourg, it's, uh, we can discuss for long if it's France or Alsace. Oh, no, 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 it's France. It's Alsace. It's Alsace. It's Alsace. Okay. <laughs> it's Alsace. <laughs> special. special. Uh, but it was a, an eye-opener for me that during um, Christmas dinners, uh, I think it was in all of France, but I, 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 at the time I was living in Strasbourg, that for it's traditional to have seafood, uh, fruit de mer, for... Yes. for yes for the Christmas table, which was yes. quite a first experience for me with that. We and always do it, in my family as well. I'm subscribed for that. Yes, my dad always uh, always open oysters for Christmas. Marisco. There's not, not a Christmas with no, at least oysters, and then, yeah, and some lobsters and all. Uh, so yeah, for that classical, classical for me, fruit de mer is the mm. best for, for sparkling as an aperitif. In terms of how the uh, market changed, so when we started, only three four percent of wine in Ukraine that was sold was dr uh, was dry. Mm. The rest of them was semi sweet and Ugh. sweet wines. Uh, I agree, but there's also its own culture, but depends on the wine and the technology mm. how you make it. But the for, for the main part, it's all just added sugar and alcohol, which means that 
the lowest quality of grape, if it's made out of grape, goes there and you can hide all the faults of wine with spirit and sugar. Now, today, this percentage is closer to 25% of consumption of dry wines. So for different reasons, it's trendy, it's fashionable. Uh, people are realizing the benefits of health for it. It's, uh, it's uh, in trend in terms like from Roselle all day, etc. So it's becoming uh, more and more well-known in popular culture. Uh, but also people would like to, you know, when they come to restaurants, they want to know how to taste the wine, how to make some differences. So the courses, the wine educational courses in Ukraine are coming up uh, on up and up. Uh, there are very excellent uh, wine shops. Of course, number one in Ukraine is good wine. Good wine, of course. Absolutely incredible team. Uh, for now, this is the only team I would really recommend if you want to like select a good wines, either through them or through the online shop uh, with when you can mm -hmm. talk with their consultants, uh, in that sense, they're very good to recommending because, uh, uh, you know, there is this shop in uh, in Paris called Galignani. The of course. The mm -hmm. oldest English bookstore yes. on the continent, uh, mm -hmm. on the Rue Rivoli. Yes. And it's my favorite bookstore in the world for, for one reason. I go there like I go into a wine shop. Uh -huh. Because by the rule of that shop, every book they have to put on the shelf, uh -huh. they have to read it. Mm-hmm. So when you go there, I can actually describe my feeling like what I want to read, like like what kind of wine I would like to drink. And same goes for me, my, my reasoning for good wine. So they know their wines and what they have represented very well. So they can give you a very good direction. So that to answer your communication, plus they're opening up a, a bad boy stores as well, which are more niche and uh, a specialized wine shops are on up and up. So it's a good direction that it's going. So yeah. At the time, it's still very personal. Technology, for me, it's not still up there in terms of helping you choose wine. So it's still quite personal-based. Mm. Is it a good thing or a bad? I'm not the judge. For me, I, li I like that fact. I think it's, that's the beauty of wine. It's, uh, Handcrafted. Exactly. It's, you, you still have to have a human art. contact with yes. it. How do you pitch Ukraine when you travel? Oh, yeah. How do you pitch Ukrainian wines? How do you pitch that we have... Uh, a lot of great things in our country. Uh, mainly in the company I was working for exports. Uh, so uh, for many years, I was uh, the one that was representing Ukraine in the international exhibitions. And we never hide that we're from Ukraine. We have a huge banner over our stand that says Wines of Ukraine. Um, <laughs> and we always receive the same reaction of people passing by glancing up, seeing the wines of Ukraine, having not very pleasant uh, facial expressions, quite confusing ones as well. Uh, as uh, in pitching, I, you cannot pitch at the moment Ukraine is a winemaking country. It's the wine that makes all the pitching for you. So when this person walks by, makes a facial expression, I run up to him. I just give him the glass of wine, said, try it, and then... Uh-huh, and let's talk. Let's talk. He drinks. His eyebrows go up, mm -hmm. he's shocked, he's mm -hmm. surprised. He comes back, he doesn't believe me. He tries all the rest of the samples that we have on display, says nothing, come, goes away, comes back in 30 minutes with his friends, and like, you have to try this. And uh, that's the biggest compliment I ever received, and I still keep receiving, which is a very pleasant uh, indeed, uh, but even in such like, such as Vinexpo in Bordeaux, which happens every two years, once every two years. 
when the people come up at the end of the, of the shop uh, of, of the exhibition and say "Cele ouverture de cette expo," it's an mm-hmm. uh, it's, it was an opening of this uh, exposition, a, a discovery, uh, and this is what we like to do in a sense, in a good way, to shock people. Now, for um, people are coming back, they already know our wine, so it's already in partial. It's a uh, it's a double sided medal. I like the fact that now wines are more well respected outside of Ukraine than inside of the country, mm-hmm. because there is still a huge, um, oh, not huge, but it's a big pessimistic approach towards Ukrainian winemakers for obvious reasons. Uh, because the quality of the wines, plus with the Soviet history and the 90s, uh, let's say, not not on, on, on the international level or even close to it. Of course, there are a few exceptions. Uh, I hopefully am, we are part of that. We also can say for our very close friends, for Mr. Ivan Plachko from Colonist, from our friend Mr. Gutman from company Chizai. There are also small garagist wines, such as uh, Bogdan Pavli, so the the brand of Ukrainian wine is becoming stronger and stronger, but still, on the larger scale, it still has quite a long way to go. Okay, I uh, I want to talk to you about a, a, um, one of my favorite wine store, uh, and actually, it's it's in the U.S. It's in San Francisco. I mean, they started in San Francisco. I think they have a few other stores. It's called KNL. Um, and it's, I'm not familiar with it, unfortunately. But you should, and you should, and this is why. Um, so, in 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 fact, uh, when I was in the U.S., one of my big client was uh, Pernod Ricard, and uh, and I know Alex Ricard, the, the CEO of the company, uh, really well. He, he became a good friend over time, and um, each time he would go to San Francisco, he would go to KNL. And I'm like, why are you going to KNL? I mean, it's 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 not even a big store. And he says, because the people here have a huge blog and they're talking about wine like nobody else. And not only they're talking about wine, but they come and visit us. They come and visit the winery all over the world to know how it's made and they really know what they're doing. And so you would all go to KNL to hear their story, what, what, what they're drink, drinking and stuff. And actually, when you go on their website, you look on their blog and they have all those amazing stories about champagne, about wine, about... And so how do you work with influencers because, um, or, or with, with all those people who are passionate about, about wine, about, and we're telling those amazing stories. Is it, is it something you're looking into? or This is something we definitely have to uh, work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and currently it's uh, in the process of, in, just at the moment, in the process of inception mm-hmm. with this crazy year that hopefully is already... Oh, yes. Behind us uh-huh. uh, in just a few weeks. Uh, and um, it was a yeah, very complex year, especially that completely changed even the approach of sales. Of course, now we're even more closely living in a digital mm-hmm. age, especially in terms of uh, pretty much every aspect of, of our lives. Uh, influencers. Uh, yeah. Um, <coughs> for the influencers, at the moment, we help a lot of our like association of sommeliers of ukraine mm-hmm. we are the first uh, uh, ever company to uh, sponsor and i uh, actually the first company to send ukrainian team of uh, sommelier to international uh, uh, sommelier competition which is like the best sommeliers mm-hmm. of the world 
The results were not so good. We came, I think they came 18th out of 35, still higher than France. Uh, oh, by the way, interesting. 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 But it's just one of the steps. So at the moment, we're actually more mm, helping the, uh, let's say, pouring water on the seeds of the culture uh-huh. of strong uh, uh, wine culture that is coming up and uh, wine personalities of Ukraine. Um, still, we do mainly, uh, well, n- not at the moment, but for the last 10 years, we more oriented towards international experts, mm-hmm. or more well-known mm, international exhibitions. For influencers, uh, if we talk about mass market of Ukraine, we're not talking about niche high-end wines, mm-hmm. but we're talking about mass market, let's say wines up up to five, 800 grivnas. Uh, these are more bloggers, mm-hmm. uh, fashionistas, mm-hmm. uh, artists, musicians. So these are mm, people who, to whose opinion people listen to. Mm-hmm. In that sense, we do not have a problem, especially during this year, uh, because unfortunately, yeah, of course, to this terrible situation happening in the world, it also was a huge catalyst for uh, domestic tourism. Yes. And on average, we have about 50, 60,000 visitors and uh, to our wine culture center in Shabom. And we saw radically how these numbers changed during this year. Hmm. Of course, it won't be a huge jump because we still follow the requirements by the country. So usually we have groups up to 25 people. We limited them to 12, 15 maximum. But we saw even proportionally, uh, it's nearly 40%. We have had an increase of high-end wine tastings, let's Hmm. say VIP level tastings. Uh, And these people... There is one comment I receive all the time from them, and this is something I want to change. You have such an amazing winery or an amazing place that I thought I was not in Ukraine. Hmm. And this is something I want to change. I want to change this association. If it's good, it's it, it's not Ukrainian. And it's it's really interesting you're saying this because in tech, in Unit City. You hear the same. This is this is something we hear every day. I cannot believe that I'm I can, in Ukraine. I, can, I cannot believe I'm in Ukraine. I think I'm in Silicon Valley. Um, I went to Shabo. I, I did the tour. I did the, the amazing testing. And honestly, I felt like that I was in I was in I was in the wine country and in, in Sonoma, or I was uh, I was in France. I was in Bordeaux. I was in a chateau. Um, I, I I totally felt that. I didn't felt that I was. Um, in Ukraine, but I don't I think it's time to say, wake up, you are in the Ukraine. So this is Ukraine. No, I don't think we need to say we are in Ukraine. We I think we have to say this is Ukraine. This is Ukraine. This is Ukraine. This is this is what Ukraine is. Mm-hmm. And, and and look, when you when you go to the U.S., uh, when you go to Sonoma, well, you're in Sonoma and then and then you go in the Midwest and you feel like you're in a totally different country. Um, and same thing for France, same thing for every country. So. Um, I, I really feel that the question of the storytelling and how do we tell the story of Ukraine is something that is evolving t- way too slowly. Um, and, and, and you guys uh, are part of the story, are part of this future as, as well as, as Unit City, as well as tech, as well as, as many other sectors, uh, as well as designers, as well as musicians and artists who, who compete at the 
global level, um, really. Um, so I think that's 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 an interesting way of viewing it. Yeah. So we're in yeah, this trans- together. Absolutely, and I, I I'll be honest. The first time I visited Union City f- just a few months ago, I had the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although in my own mind, I, this is something I want to change, but I'm still, you know, it's just a, a lizard reflex at the moment, you know, just the reaction is, that comes. So to answer your question, yes, at the moment, we, yes, the influencers are the future, mm-hmm. especially in terms of wine. Unfortunately, due to the legal system and uh, limitations, uh, something we want to change not for cognacs, not for brandies of Ukraine, not for vodkas or other products that are out there just for wine, because Mm -hmm. up until 11 p.m., you cannot even mention the word wine on television. Okay. Uh, So this is a huge limitation. We just, we don't need even for advertising. Let us talk about culture of wine, about wine as a food product. Something Mm -hmm. uh, is more close for me as a Georgian, for for Georgian. Uh, So at the moment, if we are in the wine industry, the only place we can freely express our mind and our opinions is digital. Uh, and for the say the traditional influencers, the winemakers, the uh, the the wine opinion makers, uh, our closest aim is to receive uh, score systems from wine advocate and wine spectator hmm. for more classical approach. More classical. Good. I want to say cheers for cheers. this beautiful in terms of opportunities here. Yes. And want to ask you uh, that question. How COVID affects the consumption of wine? Or all these things, pandemic, etc., mm-hmm. how does it affect all of us in terms of consumption? Uh, well, during the first quarantine that happened in Ukraine, we definitely, not our per company personal, but if I'm talking about the market mm-hmm. in general, uh, we definitely saw a rise in uh, high spirits alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people wanted to dis- disinfect not from li- not only from the outside but from the inside <laughs> as well. <laughs> so there's definitely an up and up, especially mm-hmm. the harder spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of sales as a whole, we saw a huge drop, let's say, in your uh, local small shops mm-hmm. and huge increase in the chain supermarket chains because people were leaving houses maybe once a week, twice a week, mm-hmm. uh, once every two weeks to do their let's say weekly shopping just to get out do everything at once and leave uh, so uh, in terms of sales they pretty much stayed the same uh, in terms of supermarkets but we saw a huge drop in less distribution of local small small stores ne- nearly on average about 30 percent in terms of consumption no people still drink <laughs> and what is your forecast for the future so people will stay at home more and more and will consume consume goods and buy it online mostly. So. Uh, we we are investing heavily in our uh, let's say digital direction of our winery. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from let's say you can do a f- full uh, Google tour of our winery. Uh, you can um, we have our own sh- shop shabashop.com.ta, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which uh, we're currently, uh, it exists over a year now, but we're currently modernizing it, uh, r- investing into heavily to have a full customer service, more one-to-one approach, as mm-hmm. we mentioned in like our favorite wine shops uh, or bookstores. Uh, so this is something we see the future is going, mm-hmm. 
where the direction is. And again, to repeat, unfortunately, it's the only space we can actually talk freely about our products. That's, yeah, and that's, that's the case. Do you like the future, this future? Uh, for me, every crisis is an opportunity. Okay. <laughs> I like this future. Yes, but I think uh, we, we're going to cherish, we're, we're going to respect and be grateful more for these offline meetings and from these conversations, even if all this uh, would become illegal. Uh, I have to tell you a story. Um, not many people know this, but actually my grandfather was an engineer and a winemaker. Oh. And I think he was a great engineer. Um, and he's <laughs> no, but the thing is, okay, my all my family is from uh, on my mother's side from Languedoc Roussillon, and uh, and and Languedoc Roussillon for many many years was not very famous for the quality of it of its wine. Actually, it was very famous for uh, doing really bad wine. Uh, and and we're from a, a small village called Codiès de Fenouillet. Uh and um, and and actually, my grandfather had had big. A big vineyard for the village. It was twelve hectares, um, and so, and and in France, in the poorest village, there's the, the they they have what we call cave cooperative, mm -hmm. which means that the the wine is made basically by the city, and all the all the people who have grapes bring their grapes, and 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 there's the, the wine of the village. Um, and 12 hectares is actually a lot. So the wine of the village was really bad. Uh, and when my grandfather retired and decided that it was enough and none of, the, of his kids wanted to take over the, the, the wine production, they, they, they stopped. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the quality of the wine went way up. Um, <laughs> and so I have the proof <laughs> okay. that it's, you know, it's, it's not a job for an engineer. I think I think it's 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 I'm, I'm I still have the feeling that winemaking is more an art than a science. But what Absolutely. do you think about that? I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is a a huge part of it which, in the end, should be science. But um, the way you approach the wine, even from such basic things, it might sound crazy, but I think it actually works. When I'm in the vineyards, I talk to the wine. Maybe I sometimes sink to it because it's, for me it's a live product, mm -hmm. uh, it's a live being, uh, and the way it uh, uh, evolutions. Even why, like the whole philosophy, like why you should open a wine and let it work with air, or in the case of the usual rule of thumb is if red wines depend on the vintage. Of course, there are many, many ifs with wine, mm -hmm. but on average, if it's wine, red wine is older than five six years, you must decant it because if like it's like a human being. If you wake up a person and ask it to run marathons straight up, it won't mm -hmm. be able to do it. It needs mm -hmm. time to stretch, open up. For me, it's a live product. Yes, of course, in the winery, uh, when like you make some plans, you make assemblage. At, in the beginning, you go with an idea of what you want to create. Mm, but the end, of course, you have to have the mathematical formula to keep in mind. So you have to keep the at least close to that level of quality mm -hmm. and standard and repeat it. Uh, so I think it's the the aim where you're aiming is, mm -hmm. or the level you want to reach, that's where the mathematics or the science come in. And of course in the, in the winery, but in the vineyards and in the blending and in the ideas how you create wines, this is pure art. This is just improvisation because I can give you an example. Me and my father, we created a, a unique blend. Mm -hmm. 
that at the time never existed before. We actually have it here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Cabernet Merlot Saperavi. So it's the three blends. Our uh, winemakers were categorically, catastrophically against it. <laughs> like, it's going to be a huge, just don't do it, mm-hmm. don't do it. And mm-hmm. uh, by just the, say, the rule of power, <laughs> Mm-hmm. We overruled them. Uh, we made this blend, and now they're proud of, proud of it themselves. So this is 35-35% Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, mm-hmm. and 30% of our Saperavi from our vineyards in Georgia. So mm-hmm. for this reason, we also call it our international marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and this is a very unique blend that has very nice uh, beginning of attack, which is more associated with your Bordeaux blends, mm-hmm. with a huge, strong power of sun from uh, from the Saperavi, which is a very powerful red dry variety, which is uh, essentially a very unique, not uncomparable blend. And now, just the proof that we're not the only ones crazy about it, I can name you at least 10 different wineries in Georgia Who <laughs> that are? started making the same blend. There you go. Um, and again, I'm listening to you, and if you are not talking about wine, I would assume that you're talking about startup. There is a and lot innovation. In innovation, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Because there is a lot of uh, common things in startup ship and winemaking. Like you told us that grape must suffer while growing and etc. And it uh, refers to the startups as well. Well, so and then startups I, I, and innovation are struggling before coming to success. Well, and I also think, and that's the thing I, I, I deeply believe in in terms of mindset, um, when someone tells you it's not possible or someone tells you it's not going to work, that's exactly where the startup p- spirit comes and say, hmm, you're, you're going to see. Have challenge a, accepted. <laughs> I, I, challenge ex- I have a great example of that, actually, to me, it's, and it's one of the most, um, one of the great success of Silicon Valley. It's Airbnb. Um, when Airbnb started, everybody, including the best VCs and investors of Silicon Valley, said, this is a really bad idea, guys. You're not going to rent to a complete stranger a sofa in your living room who is going to come and maybe kill you or rub you. Well, look at where Airbnb is. It's one of the largest, or if not the largest, hospitality company in the world. And I really like this this spirit. Like when 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 someone in the know tells you it's not possible, usually this is where it's going to get interesting. And so, thank you for that. I think that uh, that will be a great spirit for our holy days. If someone tells you it's impossible, let's make it possible, right? Uh, this is the end of this great moment we're together and we have a tradition in this podcast is to share um, a music a song to finish with a song um, and and we always ask our guest okay what what inspires you and I we talked about it before I know you have two songs and I want to hear those two songs so what so, are the two songs <laughs> first Ta-da! of all first of all thank you for the wonderful top podcast two. top two top so, two top two uh, uh, I guess the first one will be Bulat Okujawa, which is a Georgian-Armenian poet and singer who created an incredible song, uh, essentially glorifying the art of winemaking, glorifying the wine, uh, which in uh, in Russian sounds Vinogradnou Kostochka, mm-hmm. which is a, essentially is a grape seed, essentially. <laughs> Виноградную косточку в теплую землю зарою, 
И лозу поцелую, и спелые гроздья сору. И друзей созову, на любовь свое сердце настрою. А иначе зачем на земле этой вечной живу? And the second one for our English-speaking uh, English-speaking audience is uh, more traditional, not to do as much as with winemaking directly, but is definitely something uh, that inspires me. It's Marvin Gaye. I heard mm -hmm. it through the grapevine. Excellent. And guys, if you're looking for a great gift for the holidays, it's still time to go into shop.shabo.com. Uh, Shaboshop.com.ua. Okay. And it's also uh, a good time to book, maybe book a tour. Actually, it, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really cool gift because for me, the best gifts are experiences. And, and I completely I, agree. And I did it, and that was an amazing experience. We open every day, 24 not 24-7, but we open 365, so any day. And uh, not only there's wine, but also there's a great restaurant in front where you can have really good food. Um, Georgi, thank you. Thank that you was very great much. to have you. And uh, happy holidays to all of us. Cheers. Merci beaucoup. Merci. I've heard that um, drinking a glass of uh, sparkling is equivalent to walking for 15 minutes in a forest, in the fresh air. No, I this heard is, the same thing is, about is red wine and equate uh, um, being equal to 20 minutes workout we had an old uh, marketing director who was let's say <laughs> quiet uh, i love this one I love chubby this person one. he's like i'm working out every day yeah <laughs> you're right yeah yeah i could say that I'm yeah, sure. cheers for well-being <laughs> cheers for well-being uh,